us to start from seeing this force of joy as an endowment of kingdom citizens. And I want to start from Romans chapter 14 and uh, verse 17. The Bible says, for the kingdom of God, if you, are, if you can read it with me, read it wherever you are. Let's go. For the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I always say this very emphatically, that we all know that the kingdom of God begins with our righteousness. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus when we got born again. But what we must understand is that righteousness must go with peace and it must go with joy. The Bible says it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we know this. We sing it as songs. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Those of you that come from that generation will remember those songs. We sing it. But what we do not understand is that if we do not understand that there is the connection that makes it whole, we suffer unnecessarily the things that the force of joy, the force of peace can add to our force of righteousness. Righteousness emboldens us. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Righteousness keeps us in the journey. It, it enlists us in the army of the Lord and it keeps us in the journey. The peace of God helps us to walk the walk of tranquility. We'll look at that next week. It helps us to walk the walk of rest, even as we labor, as we serve, and as we do the things that God has called us to do. But you see, the force of joy is one of the most powerful elements of our kingdom citizenship that we do not make, that we make a light of. The word joy has nothing to do with happiness. Happiness in itself is a very different entity. People mix them up. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is what you feel when you are just, you know, when something happens to you. That is why it's called happiness. It has to do with happenings. It has to do with circumstances. It, 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 you are happy if things are good around you. You are happy when the, the weather is good. You are happy when you have money. You are happy when the wife treats you right or the husband treats you right or the child passes an exam. And those things are good, not that they are bad. But you see, Christians, those who are righteous, do not live their lives by happiness. We don't live our lives by happiness. Happiness is open to everybody. But joy, true joy, is only for those who are righteous. And we must understand that as powerful as happiness is, it cannot substitute for joy. The joy of the Lord, the Bible makes us to understand. This is the gladness that we have in our heart as a result of our connection to Trinity, to the Trinity. The joy of the Lord is the gladness that consistently remains in our heart because of our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't have enough time this morning, but I can show you very well that every one of us derives a joy by knowing God, God the Father. Knowing God, God the Father. And also having a relationship with abiding in Christ, God the Son. And then walking in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. It's very essential for us to understand this. Knowing God, in Daniel 11.32, the Bible says those who do wickedly against the covenant, those who do not get born again, those who refuse the covenant. He said those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. All they have is they remain in the realm of happiness. This is why you can find people who are not born again, not connected at all, living some kind of happiness, and then suddenly the next day you heard that they've committed suicide. And you are wondering, you cannot reconcile it. I remembered, I was reminded just now of, of um, one of the greatest comedians I felt I knew as a child, as somebody who was very happy every time. Sadly, passed on in the year 2014, I think. And um, I don't know about his state when he passed on, but he committed suicide. So I, I want to believe God that people do always get that moment of transition that they can, they can accept the great gift of Jesus. So I never ever can say somebody died in sin. And I've, I think I've shared that before. But Robin Williams was somebody who I knew as a little boy. I used to watch his, his shows in the 80s called uh, Mokka Mindy. And this guy would just come in and for 30 minutes he just needed to appear and you started laughing for 30 minutes. Such a phenomenal gift. He can mimic any voice. He can do anything. He's very quick. He can form jokes in, in an instant. 
And I used to imagine him as a person who was always happy all his life because that's, that's what he portrayed. So the day I heard he committed suicide because he felt lonely, I could not reconcile it. I could not add it all up because it just doesn't add up. How can somebody that makes millions of people laugh so easily commit suicide because of loneliness? Because if you do wickedly against the covenant, there is a corruption of flattery. Something that makes you think you are there, but you are not there. He said, but the people who know their God, the people who have a relationship with God, they shall be strong and they shall carry out great exploits. So in knowing God, we are strengthened. In knowing God, we are able to do all that God has called us to do. And so we are partakers of the joy of the kingdom. In abiding in Christ, Jesus said these things in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. When we abide in Christ, the Bible says if we abide in him and his words abide in us, the Bible says we will encounter him and we will have his joy and our joy will be full. We must understand that our work with God and our knowledge of the word of Christ, our knowledge of the word of God in Christ is supposed to enable us to live a life of joy. This does not mean that we do not have challenges. This does not mean we do not have things that threaten our very own peace and serenity. But it simply means we have understood the supremacy of the word of God. You see, friends, when you abide in him and his words abide in you, what happens is that when the enemy shows you things that should give you sadness, that should make you weary, that should make you sad and depressed and dejected. When the enemy gives you any of those things, the, you are reminded of the word of God and then your joy that is in you, his joy, his joy that is in you will now continually rise and be full. It now continually prevails. Those of you that were here in the power tower today, I was sharing on how the Bible says so mightily grew the word of God in Acts 19.20 and it prevailed. What I see with that scripture is, a, is an imagination of how when the enemy brings a challenge that is mighty, the more you think about the word of God, it starts to rise in your heart. It starts to rise in your heart. It starts to rise in your heart to the point whereby it now prevails over the circumstances and then your joy begins to manifest again to the world. This is how a believer should live. So we must know God so that we can be strong and do exploits. Then we must abide in Christ so that our joy will remain full. And then the Bible makes us to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and eight others. Love, joy, peace, and six others because there are nine. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all the other things, and self-control. He says, against such of these, there is no law. But the first three things there are the things that we see that represent our love for God is what helps us to become righteous. The kingdom citizenship that is not in meat and drink, but is in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit helps us to see the very first three elements of the fruit of the Spirit. And joy is one of them. They help us to understand the work of the Spirit, helps us to see how we overcome the challenges of life consistently as the Spirit of God works in us. Don't forget, I always say the Holy Spirit's work is to take the word that's been given and empowered it. Every time God spoke in the book of Genesis, the Bible says the Spirit of God hovered upon it and there was a performance. When Jesus was to be born, he said the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you and you shall become another man. When Samson was manifesting his spirit of might, the Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he was strengthened. And the Spirit of the Lord is the enabler. The Spirit of the Lord is what releases the force of joy from our inside. Is what makes it possible for us to still be joyful regardless of what is happening to us. It what makes us not have to limit our lives to happenings and circumstances. So it is the duty of every Christian to rejoice in the Lord. Just leaving some basic scriptures here. It is the duty of every Christian to rejoice in the Lord. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. <laughs> 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. If somebody had said rejoice always, why should they need to say again? Because there are circumstances, there are times that it will seem as if maybe this one is exempt. Maybe I can just, you know, just be in the flesh a little bit. And God inspired Paul to remind us that when we come to those times when it looks as if maybe this one, I just have to step out of rejoicing and just give it a bit of my flesh and feed my flesh with, with, with sadness and complaining. He said, again, I will say rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice. Hallelujah. And the same way in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, one of the shortest verses of scripture, he said rejoice always. It is a command. It's not a suggestion. Rejoice always. There is no room for sadness. As a child of God, there is no room for anything that will, will make you mourn and continue to live in the mourning. Now, there is a place for mourning in terms of commiserating with people, in terms of you having to come through a situation of life that requires you to reflect maybe the loss of a loved one. There is a place for all that. But even in that, it said be rejoicing in it. Because the word always means every time, in every circumstance. Hallelujah. He said rejoice always. Rejoice always. So we are commanded to rejoice. Now there are times that we, are, we go through trials and what we must understand that even in trials, God commands us to rejoice. This is what Paul and Silas knew in Acts chapter 16. When they did nothing and they were just arrested, they were on their rights. They did not hurt anybody. They were lied against and they were put in prison. The Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and they sang praises to God. They rejoiced in God's presence. How many of us today will be like, can be like Paul and Silas? Many times we complain. We murmur. It is easier to complain and murmur. It is easier to, to just let the flesh have its way. In us reacting the way that we feel the circumstances and situations of life are happening to us. But we must understand, like Paul, Peter gave us this admonition in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. I want everybody to read this together. We're going to read those three verses. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. Let's go. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. God knows that you and I have trials. He knows what we are going through. James said it is the trial of our faith that continues to work out perseverance, patience. He said we should count it all joy when we face these trials and temptations. Divers, the Bible calls them. So when we are saying the Bible commands us to rejoice always, we are not saying that it's because there is absence of trials. As a matter of fact, the more you learn how to rejoice in trials, the more spiritual you are. You see, we have been taught all kinds of things. And many of us have been taught that when you come into Christ, you know life will be good and life will be smooth and life will be full, uh, free of every trouble. There are believers who grow up with that kind of thing. And it is not true. It is not true. The only thing is that whilst we may have trials, we may be grieved by various trials, like the Bible says, we must understand that God's promise is that he has overcome. Hallelujah. He has overcome. So before you go through the next challenge, God is already waiting at the other end, waiting to receive you, to say congratulations one more time. Hallelujah. He said, even though, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, let's go together now. It says, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to do what? Praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the genuineness of your faith. It is what proves your faith. That's why when the devil went to God concerning Job, he said, I tell you, if you remove all these things, he will curse you to your very face. And God said, go and remove it. I know he's genuine. And the Bible makes us to understand that there is no temptation that comes our way that God has not allowed because he knows that he has put in us what we can use to defend. Like I always say to everybody, God did not tempt every saint with the kind of temptation that he did not try 
every saint with the kind of trial that Job went through. So God knows what you will pass. God knows what you will pass. God did not bring every kind of challenge to everyone because he knows what you and I are made up of. And the Bible says he knows the genuineness of our faith. It is more precious than gold. So when we are facing issues and we are complaining and shouting and we are being like people who have lost the plot and just complaining and murmuring like worldly people, we are losing out on the essence of our kingdom citizenship. It is in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, he said, Whom having, let's read it together, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. This kind of joy is inexpressible. What does that mean? It means you cannot define it. It means there is no way anybody looking at you can see you rejoicing. How can you be saying, my Redeemer, I know my Redeemer lives when you have all these sores on you. When you, you, you've lost everything. You've lost everything that you've ever worked for. How can you still be rejoicing? How can you still be saying, I know my Redeemer lives? He said it is inexpressible and it's full of glory. We must understand that as believers, it is important for us to know the force of the joy of the Lord. When the disciples were in the boat, it was the story that God reminded me when I was praying in March, and I was saying, Lord, what is happening? You told us it's our covenant season of restful increase. When they were in the boat with Christ, and uh, there were the waves and the storm, and Jesus was sleeping, the Bible says, they said, don't you care if we perish? These are the words of doubters. These are the words of people who have left their faith and have become carnal. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, behold, you may pass through tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world for you. He said, my peace I give to you, not that the time, not the time that the world gives. He made every promise to assure us that he is our good shepherd. He is our protector. The Bible says, until we understand him in those ways, we cannot experience the joy that is inexpressible and is full of glory. Two things that we need to know that this joy does in our lives. With this inexpressible joy, number one, we enjoy our salvation fully. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3 says, Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It is with joy not with knowledge, that we draw waters out of the wells of salvation. It is with joy, not with understanding, that we draw waters out of the wells of salvation. It is with joy, not with anointing, that we draw waters out of the wells of salvation. If you want to be fruitful in your salvation work, you must learn how to be joyful always. If you want to be somebody who is hearing God constantly, consistently, you must know how to be a joyful person. The Bible says he makes even the barren woman a joyful mother of children. You must be somebody that can see even before it is delivered. You must be somebody who understands. When he talks about barrenness, there is not just talking about barrenness of children. He talks about those dreams that you have. He talks about those ideas that you have. You are joyful over them already. You are seeing what God has said and what he's showing you. The thoughts that he has towards you that are of good and not of evil. He shows them to you and you begin to rejoice in even going to them. Hallelujah. Many couples today need to learn how to see what lies ahead. The more you see what lies ahead, the more you persevere into it. Just like you, you did when you went through school and they told you that after these six years, you will get this qualification. After these four years, you will get this qualification. And then you saw it. You started to see yourself in that role. You started to see yourself in that profession. You started to see yourself already operating in it. And it was one of the things that kept you going. The Bible says even Jesus Christ was able to go through his assignment on earth because he set the joy before him. He said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
No wonder they spat at him. He only laughed because there is a joy that is set before him about sitting at the right hand of God the Father. No wonder they pierced his side and all he could still do was to keep spared, uh, all he could still do was to keep setting the joy before him. They beat him 39 times. All he kept on doing was to set the joy before him. My question, brethren, is which joys are you setting before you? Which joys are you setting before you in your own personal life, your, your own life, as your spiritual life, and then in your ministry, in your work and career, in your family, in your marriage? Which joy are you setting before you? Or are you limited by the circumstances today? Hmm. God said to Moses, he said, tell this, my children, that the Egyptians they see today, they shall see again no more. It, just, it was just a matter of 24 hours. The Egyptians they have known for 400 years were coming again, were coming again. And God was about to draw the line forever. And it was just a, a change that would take place in under 24 hours. He said, you can see them today, but you will see them again no more. The word of God. When we believe the word of God, we start to understand that we have a duty to consistently see the joy that is before us. He said, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Salvation is like a, a place of many wells, different wells. The wells of our comfort, the wells of our assurance, the wells of our peace, the wells that gives us the access to the very, very are treasures that are laid in the kingdom. These are wells that we draw. I have never seen a person who complains and complains and complains and murmurs and murmurs and murmurs make any headway in life. No matter what they become, they, they, are, under, they, they are performing under their potential every time. Whether they are born again or not, there is power in rejoicing. Hallelujah. We enjoy, for those of us who are saved, we enjoy and draw water from the wells of salvation. Number two, we enjoy divine health. The Bible says it is a merry heart that does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Keep your heart merry. Keep your heart rejoicing. Refuse to not laugh on a daily basis. I like to laugh a lot. I like to laugh. I like to laugh. If I have gone for like three hours and I haven't laughed, I will remind myself something that makes me laugh and I'll start laughing. <laughs> I enjoy laughing. <laughs> the day I found this scripture, I found that it is the secret to remain young for a long time. Just be laughing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just be laughing. The Bible says a merry heart does good like medicine. A lot of people are always looking for things that make them sad. Why? Why do you? Some people will even be laughing. They say, please, let's, let's be careful now because when we are laughing too much, it means sadness is coming. <laughs> Have you heard that kind of thing before? They say, the way we are happy in this house today, let's be very careful. Why? <laughs> you can't just enjoy. Let's be very careful. The devil is not happy. <laughs> no, no, no. It shouldn't be like that. We must learn to laugh. The Bible says when your heart is merry, it does good like medicine. I have every one of my children as, 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 as advanced by God's grace they are getting in life. I have childhood jokes that I still crack with them. Things they did when they were three years old that they did at four years old that made us all laugh. I keep reminding them every year. So they, <laughs> we just laugh. My wife and I, oh, we have a chest of those things. That just make us laugh and laugh and laugh. Because a merry heart is like medicine. God has given it to man as a tool. You enjoy your Christian work the more you are joyful. And I'm going to give us very quickly before I close this today. Some things that we need to be doing to help us to maintain this force of joy. The things that we need to be doing and the things we need to be avoiding. To make our lifestyle of joy, one that is potent and always delivering. Number one, we need to be self-motivated and thankful. We need to be self-motivated and thankful always. First Thessalonians 15. Oh, let's start with First Samuel 30. The Bible says, now David was greatly distressed. 
For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. We know this story, Ziklag, when they had taken away all their people, these were David's mighty men. They went out before they came back. All their women, all their children had been taken away. All their things, excuse me, and their city was burned down. And so the people, did, out of frustration, they knew nothing else to do. They said, let us stone this man. Is it because of him that we have suffered this? The Bible says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We must understand something about David. That even though we say he strengthened himself, nobody has capacity to strengthen themselves. The strength that you have in yourself is the one the Holy Spirit gives to you. That's why David would say, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Psalm 121, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. He said, as the deer pants for the Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs after you. David was a person who was always panting after God. God said, this is a man after my heart. He was somebody who was always in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's why in Psalm 51, when he saw that the Holy Spirit had been taken away, he said, ha, created me a clean heart, O God. Renew the right spirit within me. I can't strengthen myself anymore. Cast me not away from your presence. Let renew the right spirit in me. Restore to me the what? Restore to me what? The joy of my salvation. He was a man who was knowing very well that this is all I need in life. I am, I am battled, battled, I'm facing battle on every side. And I need something that works from within. The Bible says he strengthened himself. Some translation says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. We must know how to develop this. And it comes by carefully living a life of thanksgiving. This is Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. My help comes from the Lord. Hallelujah. I'll go straight to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Let's read that together. He said, in everything, do what? Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Be a thanksgiver. Learn to live to give thanks. When you are giving thanks all the time, there is a way you allow the Holy Spirit to dwell with you and strengthen you and encourage you. Colossians 3.16 says we should be walking in the Spirit and we should be making melody in our hearts to the Lord. When you walk in the Spirit, you make melody. He said, let, his word, let the Word of God richly dwell within you so that you can make melody in your heart. A person who is going to be a self-motivator and a self-encourager, as it were, must be a person who walks with the Spirit and is given to thanksgiving. You must understand that it is in the place of thanksgiving. The Bible says that in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that you speak to God. Learn to be thankful. You see, your perspective of life is very important. People talk about the proverbial half glass, half full, half empty. There are people, no matter how, even if it is three quarter, one quarter empty, they still see the one quarter more than the three quarter. I'm not talking about 50 50 now. 50 50, it depends on your perspective to a large extent. But even when it is three quarter full, they are still focused on the one quarter that is not there and they are moaning about it. And life is about you rejoicing and celebrating whatever it is. In the power tower today, we read Luke 17 from the story of the 10 lepers. The Bible says one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he did not wait. He came back. He said, wow. He came to the master and he was celebrating. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? Because it is expected that we give thanks. Many of us do not understand that one of the things that robs us of a joyful lifestyle is the inability to give thanks. Celebrate God. I like thanking God for everything. I like thanking whatever God does for you. Just thank him. The problem is that many of us are, are focused on the things that we are expecting. If your mind is always on things you are expecting, you can never be a good thanksgiver. You must always thank God for everything. The Bible says in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. 
They say somebody has bought a house. Ha! Praise God. Don't say where is it? Ah, that kind of place. <laughs> Which kind of house? Two bedrooms. And he's disturbing us. <laughs> Just give thanks. Wow. Brother this, sister this, he's bought a house. Fantastic. Praise God. Celebrate it. Learn to celebrate. When you give thanks, the Bible says, this is the will of God in Christ. Because God knows that that is not the end of your journey. You have started here now. You are moving forward. But he wants to see you thanking him for today. When you come in and you see your spouse, don't say you again. <laughs> yes, it's him or her again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Who else did you expect now? Do you expect to see somebody else? It's him. It's her. <laughs> That's your gift. So don't say you again. Say praise God. Why the devil wants to make you say you again? Say praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Keep thanking God. That is the one you have. Keep thanking God. Keep thanking God. Because the Bible says that if you give thanks in everything, you are recognizing that this is the will of God. Don't forget, the Bible says that for we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. You applied for a job, you didn't get that job, you got another job, or you got another position instead, thank God for it. Start from there. He told Abraham, he said, start from where you are. Start from where you are. Start from where you are. You want to go on a holiday? Two weeks ago I was saying it. You want to go on a holiday? And it's like you've been trying, you've been trying. You know, travel lodge is just 40 pounds. You know, it's just 40 pounds or 30 pounds a night. Go there, enjoy yourself for two days. And when you're in your hotel room, say, Lord, I thank you for this holiday. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't be saying that which day me too, I want to, I want to go to Spain. I want to go to uh, Alicante. <laughs> or I want to go to New York. You will go to New York one day if you learn to thank God for Warsaw Travel Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> and you come back home and you say, well, that was a fantastic holiday. <laughs> Hallelujah. God has a way of increasing things. That's why when Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, we know the story. How many people, even the disciples were saying, what can this do among many? They wanted to start complaining. He quickly moved away from them. That takes me to point number two. Avoid joy killers. There are people and things that are joy killers. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. This does not only mean that when you are a good person or doing the things of God and you partake with evil, it starts to make you do evil. It means that, but also this scripture applies. You need to be very sensitive. If there are places you go, and you find that it always dampens your spirit. Stop going there. Stop going there. You have a friend you visit. And as soon as you walk in like this, all the problem of everybody in this world is what they will load on you. And they know that it affects you. And then you keep going there. What are you looking for with that kind of person? <laughs> always make sure that you are not allowing evil company to corrupt your good. Bad company, evil reports, negative environments, including social media. If you have pages of friends or friends who have pages that are always full of bad news, they are the first person to publish something horrible. All the pictures there is horrible, horrible, horrible things. Don't follow that kind of person. Thank God Facebook has friend and follow, isn't it? You, have, you, can, you can have a friend and you can follow. So you don't have to follow such a person. When you don't follow them, you don't see them again. You are, they are still your friend. <laughs> but you don't see those kind of things again. Because anything you can find continues, that continues to dampen your good morals, your good habits of thanksgiving, your good habits. Does that mean we're trying to bury our head in the sand? No. It doesn't mean we're trying to avoid evil, but we are protecting our spirits. We are protecting our soul. We are protecting ourselves from the things that always want to make us not walk with the force of joy. I call them joy killers. We need to identify them, and we need to be very careful with them. We need to train each other as spouses to encourage one another. And this is a very dicey one, because when you are married to a person, you are married to them. But if you notice that you have a spouse who is always very negative, you need to, if you are stronger, you need to let, share with them what gives you the strength, especially from the word of God. Listen, friends, it's all about perspective. First Samuel 17, when David, the famous story of David before Goliath, when he got there, everybody was seeing death. 
Even the king was hiding. Everybody saw Goliath and all they saw about Goliath was death. Until David got, saw, came there and saw something different. That with God, this is no issue. With God, this is no issue. And then he began to tell everybody. He began to say to them, especially to, to, to Saul. He said, you know what? There was a time I was tending my father's sheep and this, the, the, the bear came, the lion came. He said, and as they came, he said, I took it and I tore it. He said, the same God who did that for me, he will give us this uncircumcised Philistine. This is what you should do to those who are close to you, especially spouses. Keep encouraging them, keep encouraging them. Because we have different realms. It's very funny. Some spouses can go on the most terrible rides on a, on a theme park. Me, I used to assess if the theme, if I think this one will cut my heart, I stay on the ground. I say, anybody that wants to go... <laughs> I don't joke with those things at all because I don't want to go up. By the time I come down, they say the man, <laughs> the man's heart has gone. <laughs> I don't joke. So I know the one, if it is not going at the level I like, I say, no, this one that turns people like this <laughs> and takes them up, up. I don't want. But you know, there are people who don't mind such things. They just go on any. And the thing will throw them, you know, half a mile all over the place. And they come down and say, I want to go again. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> but you see, the same person, the same person, if he has a news tomorrow now that something happened, maybe people are losing jobs or something, whatever, something else, he'll be panicking. And you are like, you are the person climbing all those things yesterday. What is, what is making you afraid now? So people have different thresholds. So as couples, let us, lead, let us learn our strengths and help each other to go. That was one of those kind of rides I climbed many years ago. I climbed it, but I closed my eyes throughout. So when everybody came down, they said what they saw. I couldn't see anything because <laughs> I saw nothing. <laughs> that was the only way I could preserve my life. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you know, at the same time, I'm, by the grace of God, I'm hardly ever moved by things that easily move people in terms of, you know, somebody said this or something happened or this and that by God's grace. So let's help each other. Let's not allow joy killers in any way around us. Number three, let us keep leveraging the power of fellowship. Power of fellowship. He said, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, how is it, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let's read the last sentence together. Let all things be done for edification. Let all things be done for edification. I did my hand like that because the word edification means lifting up of one another. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man lift up the countenance of his friend. We have trivialized the power of fellowship so much in the body of Christ. One of the places where you come and you are strengthened again and refired for your joy to be full is when you gather with your brethren. He said, when you come together, use the psalm, use the teaching. Use the tongue, use the revelation, use the interpretation, all the gifts of the spirit. Use them so that all things are done for edification. Every time we go before the Lord, let us remember Proverbs 16, Psalm 16, 11. He said that you will, that in his right hand are pleasures, what? Forevermore. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And his right hand is where the Lord Jesus, the author, the, the, the author and the finisher of our faith, and the one to whom we gather in Mount Zion sits. So when we gather together, what the psalm, the teaching, the tongue is doing is helping us to have a picture, have a revelation, have an understanding, have an encounter. The psalm I hear from you helps me. The, the teaching you hear from me helps you. And like that, we together, we have these things and every one of us is being edified. Life's challenges will not stop till Jesus comes. It's not a negative prophecy. We must learn how to continue to leverage the power of fellowship. This is why the Bible says, do not neglect. We read it a few weeks ago when we were in Hebrews. Do not neglect the assembling together of one another as the manner of some is. You know, sadly, believers have come to this place where many of us think I can do without people because I can pray, I can sing, I can fast by myself. And it's, it's true. 
But nothing can replace the coming together of the saints. And I want to encourage you, especially if you are watching online, and many people have resorted to not going to church in the last few weeks because they felt they can do things online. Beautiful. It's fine. Thank God for that. But you must belong to a church. You must belong to a local. I'm not asking you to come to our church. Of course, why not? If you want to, and God is leading you and you're in our area, you want to. But the reality is wherever you are, you must, as a, as a necessity, belong to a church where you are known and you are connected and you have responsibility. Because the body of Christ is not about a pastor and a group of people, which our world has started to think. The body of Christ is about the coming together of many people who have the pastor's role, the leader's role is just to coordinate all those giftings together and let people do. For us to have the service we're having today the way we're having it, many people have worked. The technology, the setting up of the stage, the making it work. Many people have done things, apart from those who have come in to minister today. Just to have this one two-hour service. That's what the body of Christ is. The money to pay for the place, the things to, to maintain the place, to make it work and, and, and serve us. So we must be people who understand that we have a role to play. When we play all those roles, we create the atmosphere. We create the, the room for God to manifest in us and to keep edifying every one of us. The Bible says, therefore, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. That's Isaiah 51, verse 11. Everlasting joy will be upon their head. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. So you return. You go with everlasting joy. You return at the next opportunity. You return to your, your, your brethren again. And then you, there is the psalm, the teaching, the encouragement of one another. And then you go with everlasting joy again. You manifest in your world. Then you return. He said they shall return. You return with your testimony. You return with your encouragement. You return. And when every time we live like that, what we're doing is that we keep edifying one another till Jesus comes. The Bible says, and the apostles, when they, they first beat them in Acts chapter 4, they returned to their own company and they rejoiced among themselves, saying that, wow, they are beating us for the sake of Christ. We must be very lucky people. We must be very fortunate to suffer this for him. That was how, how zealous they were for the things of God. Let us keep leveraging the power of fellowship. There is nothing that can ever stop the power of fellowship. The devil will do, may do everything he can to make fellowship very difficult. But you know the truth? With God's wisdom, with God's help, we will continue to gather together until he comes. And we will continue to grow and grow in the body of Christ in the name of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you don't belong to a church, make sure you get yourself planted in a church. I know you are a Christian. I know you have been to many churches. But it's time for you to determine that you want to be a part of a church that you will use your giftings and others will benefit from your giftings and you will benefit from theirs also in Jesus' name. The fourth thing and the last point I want to make on that is we must reject worry and anxiety. We must reject worry. If you want to be a joyful person, worry, listen, everybody has the potential to worry. It's very easy to worry. It's one of the, most, it's one of the easiest things to do. To worry, it doesn't cost anything to worry. Just sit down and start thinking certain way. Worry will be plenty. If you don't know how, I will show you come to me. <laughs> Just sit down and think certain way. Worry will come. How will I do this? How will I do that? Just think about things that look like impossibility. I'm not giving you tips about worrying, but I'm only telling you things to stop doing. <laughs> you sit down there and you are thinking about what you know by yourself you can do nothing about. It's very easy to worry like that. You know you can do nothing about it. So why does God make us think about those things? Not for us to worry, but to come to him. All who labor and are heavy laden so that he can give us rest. The reason he makes us have imaginations like that is not to punish us. It's for us to see that we need those things. They are bigger than us, so we bring it to him. Of course, when you think about something, let's say you want to buy, you want to buy milk for the house and it's going to cost you 10 pounds to buy a few cartons of milk in your house, and you want to buy it, and you have the money, you thought about it, you go to the shop tomorrow, 
you go and get it, or whenever you have your chance, you go and get it, you bring it back. That's fine. So you find that you can treat that. So that's the kind of thing you think and plan and do. That's fine. But if you are sitting down now and say, you know, it's time for me to buy my next car. And the car you want to buy is, you don't even have the money for it. You're saying, Lord, how am I going to do this? What is he saying you, telling you to do? He knows you need the car. You go and bring it and take it to him. Don't start thinking. Don't start thinking because your thoughts are not going to help you in that situation. It's going beyond you. So anything that is taking you beyond you must always be something you take to God. Anything you cannot do anything about, you must take to God. You want to see a situation change in your child's life? You want to see a situation change in your family? You want to see a situation change around you? Learn to quickly take it to God. That is why I say, I don't, I'm not joking or boasting about it. I do not worry because I have learned this principle a long time. Oh, we want to buy this place. It's going to cost a lot of money to do it up, despite everything. What do I do? I hand it over to God. And then we do what we should do, of course, physically, but we are not relying on what we can do alone. We depend on God absolutely. And then God starts to make things possible. In Matthew 6, 25, he said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is more than these things. God knows that you need these things. The Bible says your heavenly father knows that you need these things. He said, but just seek first the kingdom of God, verse 33, and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Let us learn not to worry, and let us not be anxious. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, he said, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Make your request known to God. Don't be anxious. There is a difference between eagerness, expectation, and anxiety. Eagerness and expectation are good. They are godly. You are just expectant of God to do something. You are waiting for him to do something. That's all fine. But anxiety is the thought process that takes you over, burns your soul, makes you sleepless, takes your sleep, takes your peace. That's anxiety. You don't need it. It's a demonic ploy to keep you in a place where you cannot be fully walking in joy. The joy of the Lord is what you need. Reject every worry and anxiety. Again, couples, I will talk with you on this. Some couple, in some marriages, some, some couples worry more than the other person. One person is always worrying. You will look, ah, what are we going to do about this? He, has, he hasn't finished talking about, she hasn't finished talking about that. He said, I need, and this one, and that one. <laughs> Before you know it, in 15 minutes, they are worrying about different things. So if you have such a person, I pray the two of you are not like that, but if you have such a person, encourage them to be at peace. Encourage them to be at peace. And find a way to keep assuring yourself that God is in control. You know, live your life per time. Enjoy whatever God has given to you at every point in time. It is the simplest way of not being anxious. I don't think about things that, for example, now, I want to buy a ticket, if I want to buy a ticket to travel somewhere. At this point in time, I don't go looking for first-class ticket. Why am I looking for first-class ticket? It's not my, it to be true. I've been flying for many years, but I don't think about first-class now. Am I saying it's not going to be ever be possible? No. But I'm just saying that it is foolishness for me to be buying a ticket of 9,000 pounds when I can get 900 <laughs> at this point in time. A time will come, the 9,000 will be nothing to me. So why? When I move into it, I move into it. That's been my life. That's been my life. You need to understand this. And when you live like that, you enjoy every bit. And then you are always joyful. And when you are always joyful, you are restful. I close with Nehemiah chapter 8 where we read. Those of you that joined online or recently, we read Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1 to 12. Pastor Cephas led us in reading that earlier on in the service today. And uh, it's a good passage that came up after the walls had been rebuilt. Nehemiah was moved and he moved the people of God and they rebuilt the things. And they now started to focus on God and they were worried. I close with what Nehemiah said to them. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send the portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. 
Do not sorrow. Please tell your neighbor for me and tell the people around you, do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The devil wants you to keep sorrowing and sorrowing. He wants you to keep looking at things that are not working. It's time for you to look at the word of God that has promised you that all things will work together for your good because you love God and you are called according to his purpose. Whatever is not in place, seemingly, in your life today, because you have heard this word, the God of heaven will perfect it in your life in Jesus' name. As you put your trust in him, the joy of the Lord will continue to be your portion. In the name of Jesus, it is well with you, spirit, soul, and body. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to pray for everyone. If you are under the sound of my voice and you are not yet born again, we do this every time because the work with God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You cannot become righteousness if you are not born again. You cannot become righteous if you are not born again. And that means you cannot have access to this joy and to this peace. I want to pray with you and the brethren everywhere will pray together. This is for you. Even if you are hearing this message two months later, two years later, Jesus starting to come whenever. This is for you today. You are hearing it because God wants you to be born again. And I want to say to you that as we pray together, this prayer is for you, but every one of us will pray it. Everybody say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today to make you my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from unrighteousness. From today, I am born again, I'm set free, and I'm made whole. Thank you, Lord for saving me in the name of Jesus. And so, Father, so shall it be. We continue to pray that you will have your way in everyone that has given their lives and those rededicating and every one of us as we continue this journey. Salvation will continue to speak in our lives. None of us will fall by the wayside. None of us will backslide in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the word we have heard today. Every one of us will continue to bask strong in the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.